I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I am so excited to be here today with Rex Ogle, who is the author of Free Lunch. Rex was born and raised mostly in Texas. He says, I was, this is a quote, I was one of the poorest kids at a school for the children of the wealthy. I was on the subsidized lunch program and mocked endlessly. This is my middle school experience, but I think it's an important story to tell. A former children's book editor in New York City, Rex and his partner now enjoy much nicer weather here in the Los Angeles area. (laughs) So welcome to Rex. Thank you. It's true. The weather is nicer here. (laughs) For sure. It's nicer here than pretty much anywhere. Yes. It's amazing. My kids and I and my husband loved your book. Like, I don't always say that. I mean, I love, no, I shouldn't say it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I really enjoy every book that's been on the podcast. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it on the podcast. However, this particular book, I feel like, should be required reading for all kids in America. Full stop. Like, really powerful and amazing. So I just wanted to say that from the start. Thank you very much. Tell everybody what Free Lunch is about and what inspired you to write it. So Free Lunch is essentially a typical middle grade story. You know, it has to do with like wanting to be on the football team and, you know, trying to figure out where to sit and, you know, the transferring to a new school jitters. But it also has to do with my experience, which had a lot of poverty and domestic violence and how that affected my life. Did you, because I was looking at the cover and I was like, is he trying to sell this as a middle school memoir? Because it doesn't say right away. You don't know if it's your story or fiction. It's 100% my story and it is not fiction. I sometimes wish it were. But it is 100% the things that I lived through, the stuff that I I had to experience on a day-to-day basis. And so it's a lot, And but it is middle grade. And it's funny because when I first wrote it, I was like, you know, I could have written like a memoir, like a, an adult looking back at their childhood, but then I was like, no, like I don't I don't want adults reading about my childhood. Like the whole point of me writing this is to write a story for kids that kids can relate to and see themselves in and then also take away something important. Amazing. You said there's in the author's note that you included at the end of the book, you wrote that you felt exhausted and sad and a little sick to my stomach because everything was true. And you said every lunch, every laugh, every punch. So you're revisiting this extremely painful time in your own life. How was it to write about it? You had said you put it off for a long time. You didn't want to write about it. What was it like for you? When I first started writing it, I, I had I had been dabbling in like writing short stories about my childhood because it's like I'd write a chapter and then I'd be I'd basically have a panic attack <laughs> and I was like I, I can't keep writing this. But then I was working as an editor in New York City and there were all these books that were coming in and it was just like supernatural and fantasy and sci-fi and I love those books like that's actually what I wanted to write but everyone kept saying like you know we need important stories and stories that can help kids maybe live a better life or have a different experience or maybe have hope and when someone said the word hope I was like god I I had so little hope as a kid I wanted to write something that gave hope and showed kids like you can live through bad things, but you can still come out the other side and be better. I think I completely just lost track of your question. No, no, it's oh. fine. You said, I'm sorry, you're perhaps distracted by the fact that my six-year-old is poking me in the shoulder right now that I'm trying hard to ignore. Can you please but it, It's super cute. Um, you wrote at the end of your author's yeah. note, per what oh, you were just saying, if you, are, if you are having a hard time, my advice is simple. Hang in there. Give it time. Life likes to surprise you when you least expect it and stay strong, no matter how dire things 
things seem, things can change until they do. No one can take away your ability to hope. Yes. Oh. And I mean, the reason that I wrote that is because I think as a kid, you know, I thought I was the only one suffering with all these horrible things. Like I, I went to school and I saw all these kids just like, they come to school in their fancy cars and with like dressed really nicely. And I would come in my secondhand clothes and it's like our car was old and beat up. And it was just like, it was every, I was embarrassed like constantly by my life. But there was some little part of me that was just like, it will get better, it will get better. And I don't think it gets better for everyone. I would love to say it gets better for everyone, but it doesn't. And, but I do, I do believe, or I, at least I have to believe that if you put in the work and if you really try to make yourself a better person and, I don't know, have empathy for others. I, I think that you can make the world a little bit of a better place a day at a time, and then that will also impact your life. And the way you were so empathetic with your mother at the scene, like towards the end of the book, where you were just like, this must be so hard for you. No yeah. Despite everything she put you through, yeah. you could see her struggle and sort of relate to that, and then you saw her open up a little, just yeah. a little, but enough. And I mean, it was so powerful. And the thing is, is like I, I saw my mom suffering not just in her own little ways, like struggling with money and not being able to pay the bills. And I think at the time, it was, you know, middle school was like this big awakening for me. And, you know, as it is for most kids. But for me, it was also tacked on that, you know, I was like, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Like, I'm ashamed. I'm, you know, I had all these feelings, but I never considered how it felt for her to not be able to put food on the table and to have to, you know, go to the grocery store and do welfare. And I was always, throughout the book, like, in sixth grade, it was like how it impacted me. But when I realized, oh, God, like she must be suffering too. And not just that, but the domestic violence, of course, takes it to a whole other level. By writing about such a personal and painful experience, if there are kids out there who read this, who are relating to this and don't talk about it or don't yeah. want to share it, what would you like to have happen as a result? I mean, I, I would love for kids to know that there are at least hotlines that they can talk to. If they can't talk to a grandmother or a relative or a friend at school or a trusted teacher, because I didn't feel like I had those things. And so I, if I had known there were hotlines, and I think, I mean, in the 80s, like, we didn't have the internet, but things are so much more readily accessible, and if they can just get to a phone and there are hotlines for domestic abuse, there's, there's suicide hotlines, there's different places that kids can call and just hear a friendly voice if they don't have one in their life. So I really just, I, I hope that my book, like, instills that in people, like, or in kids especially, like, that there are resources out there and there are people that will help them. And I think it's also so important especially for middle schoolers who I think by their very age, they're becoming more self-conscious and knowing all the things that other people are going through. Yeah. Right. It's not just about their things. Yeah. Like you're embarrassed about the things you were embarrassed about. Somebody sitting over there is embarrassed about something else, just like your friend at the end of the book. Right. Whose name I'm forgetting. Anyway. Well, I know his name in real life, so okay, I always get I, confused okay, with the, the your, fake your best friend in the book who was <laughs> yes. like, you know, I'm embarrassed by these things and I'm yeah. ashamed to admit this. And every kid kind of has their thing. Yeah. And seeing like, well, Look at all the things going on. Like you don't know what goes on in people's families. You, really you have don't. to be so respectful of everybody and just I don't know. Yeah. It's just such a good lesson. Yes. Yeah. For the, it, it the more self-centered times of life, I guess is what. Yeah. And a good lesson for grown-ups too. I mean, this is not just for kids. Your your story is like a universal yeah. message, really. I mean, yeah. It's funny because I wrote it, I think I started writing it five years ago, and it's like I'd write a few chapters and I would get really depressed because I was like reliving this stuff and I was like having to go to therapy, like extra therapy, just because I was like, 
I just needed to cry and like to talk and like uh, because you're re- like writing these things, it's like re-experiencing them is so painful. But again, like I just kind of clung to this is an important story. I, I I think it needs to be written because growing up, it's like I read plenty of books about like rich princes and you know all these people who like. Are, are good at something, and I felt like I didn't have anything that I was good at, and I felt like I was lacking in so many ways. So I feel like this is a good story so that kids who are in similar situations can pick it up and be like, oh my God, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person on the planet suffering. Because it's like now, as an adult, like 30 years later, like I look around the planet, I'm like, gosh, my life was pretty easy. No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> but I mean, compared to like some of the things okay, going fine. on. I mean, yeah. okay, yes. But yeah, I mean, it's just so crazy that we live in a world where these things still happen because I, I don't know, like now as an adult, I'm like, we're such an evolved species. And I'm like, maybe we're not. <laughs> but yeah. And I feel like you talk a lot in the book about how reading helped you as a child, yes. even though your teacher made fun yeah. of you and didn't want you reading Stephen King in your class, but you always seem to be drawn to books. Yes. Tell me about how books helped you. I love books. I don't know what it was. I just remember, you know, when my parents split when I was five, I had a stack of Dr. Seuss books and I went back to them over and over and over again. And then I was a little older, I discovered Alice in Wonderland and I loved Alice in Wonderland. And there was something about escaping into a world so unlike ours. And I very much gravitated towards genre like fantasy and magic or science fiction. And I was the same way with movies. And so it's funny because like I always thought that I would be the next J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Fingers are still crossed on that one. But when I started writing nonfiction, it was it's just such a different experience. And as a kid, I don't think I gravitated towards that. I definitely wanted to escape reality. And books were just such a great way of doing that, especially comic books. I mean, just reading X-Men was such like a the whole world hates and fears me. And that's kind of how I felt. Like at my school was, I was like, kids don't like me, but I didn't have anything against anyone. And I wanted to make the world a better place. And so I guess in my own way, I'm doing that through books now. So I'm not now the writer that I wanted to read as a kid, but was too scared to. So full circle. (laughs) Full circle. That's amazing. Tell me about your relationship with your brother Ford, because I feel like I developed such an attachment to him after your book, because you basically were his primary caregiver. You did everything for him at such a young age. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship now, your relationship then. I mean, our relationship then, it's funny because I I think that in the book I may have, I, I should have made it a little more round that there were times when he just really aggravated me because, I mean, I was almost 10 years older than him. And it was, you know, instead of playing with my friends or, you know, just reading books, like I was giving him baths and cooking dinner for him and teaching him how to read. But the thing was, was we had so many moments where just like, I wanted to protect him from what I went through. So, I mean, I just loved him so much and so hard. And it's it's funny because now we're super, super, super tight. And I know a lot of, I have friends who have siblings who are like, you know, they have the 10-year age gap and they're not close to them at all. But me and my brother talk like once a week now, if not twice a week, and we're always checking in on each other. He owns like a big ranch down in Texas. He's a nurse. And he's just like, we talk all the time and it's, it's great. Did he read the book? He, well, I sent him an early draft of the book, and he's like, I can't wait to read it. He's not a reader, <laughs> so he hasn't read it. I think he's read parts of it. He has said, like, he's like, I read one chapter, and I, I can't, I, I need a break. Like, I think seeing that, because he knows a lot of the stuff that happened, but he doesn't remember, but he lived through his own stuff. Like, when I went off to college, like, 
he dealt with other stuff, and we actually have another brother who's 10 years younger than him. Oh. So he actually had a very similar experience to what I did, just with a different stepdad. So same mom, different dad, different stepdad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. But we are super tight. Do you so. think he knows the, how he, the lengths he went to protect him? And Absolutely. I think he went through similar things. His stepdad was, his dad was abusive, but not to him. And then his stepdad was actually not abusive, but my mom was a little bit more so. So that's, but I mean, she is, I think, you know, can't help herself. She went through a lot of stuff when she was a child, which, yeah, but that's a whole other story. So. Oh, I'm like not going to let you leave. Yeah. I want to like sit you down <laughs> after this and be like, I want to know everything. Yeah. Like after going through this book with you, I feel like, I don't know, you just, you know, I, yeah. I feel like I like care so much about you and yet I just met you. It's so well, funny. thank you very much. So you also wrote, so I was like Googling to research yeah. anything new and I read your really heartbreaking essay on HuffPost, which you called The Day My Dad Kicked Me Out for Being Gay Changed My Life Forever. And you talk about literally being kicked out of the house, being homeless, yeah. not having any place to go, and finally calling your abuela, who's sort of this shining light in free lunch and now in yeah. obviously your life, and yeah. she basically saved you. Yes. So tell me tell me a little about that heart-wrenching experience. I mean, so, Let me just put yeah. you through all your misery again. <laughs> so my abuela You can go amazing. from here to your therapist's office. Yes. I love her. She's still around. She's still... We talk almost every day. Um, she is still in Texas. I actually moved out when I was 16. Uh, and lived with her and finished high school. And then I ended up leaving to go get to know my dad when I was 17. And then as soon as he found out I was gay, he booted me out. He did say I had a choice in his defense, which was if I wanted to stay, I could go to church and therapy and lead a heterosexual lifestyle. And after living with my mom and having to deal with so many things, I was like, you know what? I just, I can't have another person telling me what to do. So I will opt out. And so I went to New Orleans and then lived on the streets. And that was a whole other <laughs> difficult part of my life. And it's funny because my publisher actually came to me after reading the Huff Post article and was like, can you write a book about this, a YA book? And I was like, that may take me a while because a few years ago I wrote a book called Free Lunch and it took so much out of me. And I just like, I would need a couple or three years. He was like, well, let me read, read Free Lunch in the meantime. So I gave it to him and that's how this book got published. Oh, no way. Yeah, so that's actually how Free Lunch came to be. But the experience of being kicked out was devastating because it's, my mom was already not a safe space for me. And then now my dad, who I was, I moved in to get to know, booted me out. And then so it just felt like I didn't have a mom, I didn't have a dad. And I was already struggling with a traumatic childhood and then also coming out. And I kind of came out late in life because I had so much other stuff to deal with when I was younger that it was like not a priority <laughs> or even like something that I thought about like needing to deal with. Mm -hmm. So, and I know there are other kids who deal with it at a much younger age now. And to them, like, again, I just want to say like, hang on to hope. There are resources out there. You're not alone. And God, I wish I had the internet as a kid because there are so many resources and you can just Google stuff. And I hope kids know that. I'm sure they do. They're much more smart. They're much more smart. They're smarter <laughs> than I am when it comes to technology. So My four-year-old who you just met yeah. ordered like 57 things on Amazon the other day. <laughs> Arrived at my house. A whole, you know, menagerie of Paw Patrol characters. Uh -huh. So, yeah. <laughs> Kids today, yes. Yes. They're, they're on the internet. They know. They know. <laughs> they know. And yet... 
Despite everything you went through, you have picked yourself up. You've written books. You're a book editor. You've ghostwritten tons of books. How did you get from there to here? I have to say it was my abuela because she, she, I mean, I'm working on a book that won't come out anytime soon, but about her life because her life makes my life look so easy and simple. And what she pulled herself up from always encouraged me to keep pulling myself up and just to keep working. And basically she just said, like, if you put in the work, it will eventually pay off, which, you know, I moved to New York City when I was 23 and I like went with a thousand bucks in a duffel bag. And I was like, I'm going to work in book publishing because I want to be a writer one day. And coming from where I came from, I just never wanted to be a starving artist. So I was like, I, I can't just like write I, I need to like go and I need to work hard and I need to get to know the industry. So I worked in book publishing and supported myself and learned the ins and outs just so that I could put food on my own table and take care of myself because I, I don't have parents that I can rely on. And my abuela, as, a, as amazing as she is, she has a lot of other grandchildren to take care of too. So I didn't want to take advantage of her because she was always like, if you need anything, I'll always be there to help. But moving to New York is an expensive place. And so I moved there. And I, I literally just worked my. And had you gone? To, wait, so you w- you right. went to New Orleans? Just quick. Bye. Oh yeah, yeah. Bye, timeline yeah. clarification for me: you get kicked out, you're homeless in New Orleans. Yes. You go back to your abuela. You end up living with her. Yes, and then I you go to college. Yep, finished college. Finished uh, college. Then you moved to New York. And then I moved to New York. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Resume. Yeah. Thank you. So you're in New York. I was in New York. You found a job in publishing. Yes, and I've been writing, 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 writing nonstop. And it was funny because for the first ten years. I got the same note all the time, which was, there's no heart in this. There's no emotion in this. And I was like, really? And I was like, but the action and the plot and the characters, and they're like, but where's the heart? And I realized that all the stuff that I had been avoiding as a kid is exactly why I was like, I don't want to write about bad things. I want to write about happy things. I want everything to be happy all the time. I don't want to write sad things. And then that's when I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try. Maybe I should just confront what I've been avoiding since I like left. And that's how Free Lunch was born, was I, I started writing. I was like, I guess I just went full tilt. I was like, I guess I'm just going to write the most painful parts. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, you do what everybody says to do, right? Right. Like, go right there. Yeah. Like, I mean, but it's obviously not easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then now you've moved out here to L.A. Yes. Uh, are you still working at book publishing or you're writing full-time? Nope, I'm writing full-time. I love it. I'm so happy. It's really great because this is what I've wanted to do since I was a kid was just be a writer. And I, I never thought—it's one of those things where it's like I just never thought I'd be able to do it. I'd always thought I'd need to have a job. But now it's like I'm just so happy to be writing because it, as a kid— I always wanted to escape reality, and now I'm helping other kids to escape reality. Not maybe escape is the wrong word. I don't want it to sound so like oh, reality is the worst place ever. No, reading I, is an escape. Yes. it's an emotional yeah escape release like yes. shift in mindset. Yes, but it's also something that I think I think that books taught me so much because I didn't have parents who gave me a good example, but I learned a lot of great examples on how to treat other people through books, like. I mean, librarians saved my life, essentially. Like, Because I was at the library every Saturday morning, and I would stay there all day with Shelby. Like, I'd read books, he'd take naps, and librarians would just be like, they loved me because I was there all the time, and they would always recommend books, and I was always reading up. Yeah, and it was just great. And so now you've done a lot of books under a pseudonym. Yes. Why is that? And uh, is that what you're doing so when I was, now? So when I was a book editor, it was always... 
they said that I could write, just not under my own name, because it would be a conflict of interest, maybe, to be like Rex Ogle, the editor, but also Rex Ogle, the writer. And also, like, a lot of the stuff I was working on is, like, 8 by 8s for Lego Star Wars. Those are all, like, fun books, but it's nothing that is going to change the world. It's, so I wanted to kind of save my name for a book that was really important to me. So Free Lunch is obviously very important to me. Oh, my gosh. And so what else are you working on now? You have uh, the Sabuela book. Yes. I am working on a graphic novel with Scholastic about getting glasses in sixth grade. So it actually takes place at the same time as Free Lunch, but it's a Disney version of my life. So most of it's true, but it's also just like a pure and fun, very Raina Telgemeier smile mm-hmm. and sister's book. Like, I just wanted to also write something light. Because at the same time, I'm also writing my follow-up to Free Lunch, which is called Punching Bag, which if you thought Free Lunch was heavy, Punching Bag is going to be a little bit heavier. But the thing is, is after I wrote Free Lunch, I was like, I think it's important to talk about these things. And I think, I mean, I don't know about, I I cannot speak to myself, but I mean, I can only speak for myself. But growing up, I thought I was the only kid with violence at home. And I think now it's like I read statistics and they blow my mind because I was like, that's not... That's not possibly true. There, there can't be this many people living with violence in their lives. And so, yeah, I'm working on something that's more focused on domestic violence and self-harm and depression and essentially like pulling yourself out of that because I, I think that mental health is such an important topic. I mean, I've been in therapy for the last 15 years trying to get to a better headspace after the things that I lived through. And I, I just, I want kids... And adults, I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that no matter what happens in their home life, they, they can still be a good person and that they're, they're worth something and that they can be loved and they can love themselves, which is maybe the hardest thing to learn. Oh, my gosh. Are you, I hope, planning on going to schools and talking? Yes, I am. Is someone managing this for you? Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> will say, I suggest that yes, you do this? I really want to. I will say the one thing is I'm, like, a super nervous speaker. Okay. <laughs> I'm really good one-on-one, but, like, put me in front of, like, an audience, and I start to, like, get very anxious. But I, I'm, I think I'm going to start taking classes because I really do want to start speaking to schools. And there, I've already got a few lined up. I think I'm— going to Texas for the Tweens Reed Festival in Houston, Texas, and then I'm going to Washington, D.C. to speak at some schools. So I'm really excited about that um, just because I, I, again, like I just want to go and tell kids like they're not alone and it's going to be okay or it will be okay one day. Or you need to do like YouTube videos. Yeah, I've been thinking you know, about that right? too. Because you yeah. could just do that at home yeah. and just have someone, you know, yeah. set up a trip. Like it, yeah. even just talking to you like this, like I wish we were, yeah. I wish this was being filmed because, <laughs> no, because I want people to see you talking yeah. about it. It's so compelling. Yeah. And if you could reach people that way and, and, and the book, you know. Yeah. And anyway, I'll stop. I'll stop giving you career ideas. You no, don't, you I don't appreciate. Need it. I need no, you, all the help I can get. You don't get. need it. The book is amazing, <laughs> and I know it'll all be great. So, have you thought about this being a movie, a book? Have you like dabbled into that at all, or um, do you not want that? I think I have mixed feelings on it because I feel like I don't know. I've I know a couple like comic book writers who have written comic books who became movies, and comic book movies are notoriously awful, <laughs> except for Marvel. They're amazing, but yeah. So I, I do worry about. The great thing about writing is like you can write a story and you only have yourself to hold you accountable. And I guess your editor and your publisher will step in and be like, mm, maybe don't do that. But with movies, it's like there's so many cooks in the kitchen that I worry about it. Like, like if Free Lunch became like a very Disney version, I would be very weirded out. But at the same time, 
I just think it needs to be honest. And if, if there is a movie or TV show that was like on point and kind of really stuck to the message, which is that, you know, horrible things happen, but you can survive those things. As long as it stuck to that, I think I'd be okay with it. Wow. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Ooh, get ready to be rejected. <laughs> uh, I've logged over a thousand rejections. And I think the, no. fir- I think the first 500 were devastating. Every single one was devastating. And then I can't remember who it was, but someone told me that they read online that someone looked at rejections as badges of honor. And I was like, that's a great way to look at it. So rather than look at each rejection as someone saying, no, you're worthless, you can't do this, look at it as, I'm putting myself out there and eventually I will trick someone to saying yes. <laughs> and it's true, I mean, because not every, when I wrote Free Lunch, I, I finished it like three years ago and working in publishing, like I took it out to all these agents and editors that I knew and I was like, surely someone will say yes. And they all said no. They're like, what? They're like, it's too heavy, it's too dark for the age group. They're like, if this was for adults, if this was young adult. And they're like, but middle graders shouldn't read this stuff. And I was like, but you realize that middle graders live through this, number one. And number two, we live in a country where middle graders are on YouTube and they're they're seeing things on the internet that are way above what they should be looking at. And also kids at this age are getting shot by police officers in the street and they're living through horrible things. And with the internet, it's like they're seeing this stuff online. So... At the very least, my book provides context and also hopefully an optimistic point of view. So why can't it be published? And everyone was just like, nope, too dark. So Oh, my gosh. I'm very happy Norton took a chance on me. I am too. Yeah. Thank you, Norton. <laughs> thank you, Norton. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, seriously. I know it wasn't easy to go through, relive all of that stuff and write it, but as a reader— for me, for all the kids. I mean, I know you say it's like dark even for the age yeah. group. I'm telling you, my little kids, like they the way you write is so captivating. I don't know. It, yeah. I'm whatever I can do to help you get this book well, out into the you. world, let thank me know you. because I am such a huge fan and I am just rooting for you in every way. Yeah. <laughs> Much appreciated. I did try to put some fun things in there. So they're like the Christmas scene, the Christmas tree scene. That was, <laughs> I, oh, no, <laughs> yes. Yes. They, and they yes. They were, they were laughing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was really. Because that's life. It's not dark yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's no, and I didn't mix. mean to suggest that this whole book was dark. No, that was, I think I was suggesting it. Okay. So I wanted to make yeah. sure. This whole book is not dark. <laughs> there are some very funny scenes and yeah. some also just some very everyday struggle scenes. Just anyone going through middle school. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Part of the everyday. Absolutely. So anyway, well, thank you for coming on Mom's Thank you. Thank you for and, having uh, me. Awesome. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 